What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and in the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to get control of your thought process, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are on episode 23. In last week's episode, I was talking about the anatomy of a great real estate deal. And I kind of went into the necessary, uh, the need to be resourceful and things like that. So it, uh, I hope you found that useful. If you have any questions on that, be sure to send them through. It's now Sunday afternoon, October the 4th, and um, I'm welcoming all of you guys. It has been a crazy week. Um, I've just, you know, been learning about President Trump getting COVID-19 and going into hospital and all that kind of stuff. And it's just every week seems to be more and more drama. I do not remember there being a year with so much drama. And uh, I mean, between COVID-19 for the and the world shutdown, the lockdown and all that. And now the president of America having COVID-19. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? I wanted to first of all thank the couple of listeners who left reviews since last week and that is I'm going to name you guys uh, Carl the Crusher Carl uh, that is a really um, nice uh, review that you left Carl I'm assuming that you're one of the new members over on the uh, behind the facade community and then Eddie Ind IND that is um, really appreciate that you guys getting in contact um, leaving a review and uh, if you guys, specifically you guys, have any questions, um, be, be sure to fire them over to me. You can reach out to me directly via the Facebook group Behind the Facade community, uh, or you can email me at podcast at behindthefacade.fm. So for anyone else listening who finds these podcasts in any way useful at all, please consider going into, uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the bottom of the feed and usually it has a thing where you can give it five stars. That's just simply pushing a button and you've made and you've given it a five star rating. But even better is if you can actually write a short review. And those reviews really help the, um, the discovery of this podcast. Uh, I found that as soon as I have a review, suddenly there's a huge amount of people that are listening that haven't heard it before. So leaving a review, super helpful, and I always appreciate it. As I mentioned in the last episode, I have started a new segment called Question of the Week. And uh, this week's question is coming from Stephen. And Stephen has just become a member of the uh, Facebook community as well. So Stephen, welcome. But um, you asked a very interesting question. And it's uh, unlike some of the questions that I try to deal with, which are kind of more universal in nature and could apply to anyone living anywhere in the world. This particular one is kind of Irish based uh, question. Um, so Stephen is an expat living abroad in the EU. And he already owns two unencumbered buy-to-let properties in Dublin. So unencumbered, obviously, no mortgage. He just owns them outright. And he has found that he, he wanted to buy a third buy-to-let property, but he found the process of obtaining finance for this to be very uh, daunting and onerous. And he, he used a broker who was very, very helpful. And he, but he just sort of said, like, the, the lenders are unbelievably risk-adverse and they just do not seem to want to lend money. And he just asked if, uh, you know, compared to, say, buying property in the UK or in the US, 
it is a cinch over those places compared to trying to buy here with any kind of borrowing the the irish banks um are just difficult to deal with and he asked for some advice so stephen thank you very good question and um the first bit of advice and this goes back to i've talked about it before but the crash of 2008 so many irish banks were so focused on lending money to investors to buy to let that they they seem to like lose basically the the whole point of the exercise that was to make money and it was it seemed like that they were just interested in giving out money at any rate at all it didn't matter about the kind of the basic fundamentals so huge numbers of them got burnt badly burnt uh, you know most of the banks were taken over by the government they lost all of their their investors lost all of their capital and uh, the banks became you know the majority owners um, or the government became the majority owners of the banks and so of course what happens in that situation is it the, an overcorrection. so they went from being complete lunatics that couldn't give money away quick enough to suddenly being you know, holier than Joe, and uh, they they basically had to lend out. They they've stopped lending out money unless you know they have almost an ironclad guarantee of getting paid. And um, it's a shame to say, but in my opinion, it's a lot easier to buy property in other countries than it is in my own country. And um, in a future episode, I'm going to be covering what it's uh, some advice and stuff on buying property in other countries, the pros, cons, and specifically which markets to look for. But uh, the next bit of advice on Stephen for your question is the, the de to develop a relationship with an existing bank that you've worked with in the past or that you're hoping to work with. Now, you might say that this goes against the you know current wisdom around shopping around and looking for the best possible deal. But the reality is, is that nowadays, when you are trying to borrow money from a bank or dealing with a bank in any kind of a way, they have all of these, what they're called KYC, know your client. And it's a very, very onerous process. And you, they have got to understand how you got the money, where you got the money, where do you live? Are you genuinely the person that they're lending to? Are you, you know, are you fronting for somebody else? This is all stuff that the central bank actually mandates them to do, and they face very hefty fines if they don't do this. And for that reason, it is so difficult to become a client now of a bank. You have got to jump over, jump through all these hoops, and it is really, really time consuming. And so one of the reasons why I suggest that you get to know the same bank is just because once you've done all of that work, then you can kind of get on with it. Whereas if you're deciding to, okay, I'm going to go and shop around and look for the best rate, you might find that another place has got a, be you know, a better rate, but you're looking at a whole month of back and forth, you know, sending in documents, getting stuff sworn, all of this kind of stuff. And so it's very, very time consuming. And so my advice is find a good bank that you're working with or a good broker who knows his way around and just try to get develop a relationship so that you can kind of continue going back. One of the biggest risks that you have is that you find a property and you can't act quick enough because you have to do all of that early work. And um, I'm going to give you an example, actually, just recently. Now, this is a financial institution rather than a bank, but I have a, um, a stock market portfolio and I wanted to sell some shares. And so I went on, got onto them and I hadn't spoken to them for a while and wanted to sort of sell my shares and they told me that 
uh, I had to update my KYC information. And so I said, okay, fine, no problem. I sent them an email with my passport, sent them an email with my driving license, and then some utility bills. Now, as most of you will be familiar, when you have a utility bill nowadays, it is typically going to, you're going to get your bill over the internet. And so all of my bills, everything basically that I get, every bill that I pay comes in through the internet. And I, so I get, I sent them these emails with, uh, you know, the PDF of the invoice or the statement or whatever it is. And it was not acceptable to them. And I was just, hold on a second. Those are the utility bills that I received and I've sent them to you. And, you know, what, what more do you want from me? And they said that they had to be, um, they had to be pieces of paper that had been sent in the postal system to my home address and that I had opened and that they wanted that original back. And I was saying to them, but hold on a second, I don't have any bills coming in in that format. I, I only deal with the internet. It wasn't good enough. So then they started telling me that I could send this other stuff. So I had to go digging through file my filing and, and look for some sort of a, in the end, I think it was an insurance premium letter or something like that so that I could basically pay insurance on my home or something and um, something from the from the tax man that basically had my name and address nothing else was acceptable and the low the long and short of it is that it basically took me about a week to satisfy these questions and to send it in by the post they wouldn't take a scanned copy of it had to actually physically receive they had to receive it by post sent it in took about a week and in the time that that took that uh, I took all that time doing that, the share price fell by about 10%. And so when I went to sell the shares, I'd lost about 10% uh, because of that. So super frustrating, but that is just a small example of the nonsense that you have to deal with when you're talking to a financial institution. Certainly here in Ireland, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world at the moment. But, the, you know, there's just so much energy goes into this. And so that's one of the reasons why I suggest you keep your relationships fresh and active so they are familiar with you. When you pick up the phone, they're not saying, who is this guy? What's the story here? They kind of understand you. They understand what drives you. They have a little bit of an idea. And you can do, you can go further with that. Like in the past with the bank managers, I used to send a Christmas hamper to them. And that might sound like a, a little bit strange, but you got to remember, I was picking up the phone and borrowing, uh, you know, in some cases, millions. And I would just literally pick up the phone and say, I need this money tomorrow. And they would send it through like that. So I was very keen to keep these people on a very friendly basis. So I would send them a Christmas hamper with wine and biscuits and all of that kind of, you know, your Christmas pudding and all that. They got all of this and they, you know, they wanted to keep me friendly they wanted to you know keep please me basically because of all this so that is something that i did now nowadays not sure if that's even allowed so they've they've changed all the rules because obviously that can cause them to kind of maybe bend the rules for for certain people the next bit of advice is to do a dry run and by that i mean you know if you're looking at properties it's probably good to go through this process for a um, to begin with just with say a trial run and what you want to do is find a property that's approximately what you're going to be looking for and just see what's involved. Speak to the bank, try and find out what their routine is, what, what first of all, answer all those questions, get all that information to them so that you're on their system. 
and then go through the whole process. And what I'm what the reason I'm suggesting this is that you will have an idea how long it takes to close a deal with that bank. And, you know, is it four weeks to get approval? Is it eight weeks to get approval? All of that stuff is super important to know, because when you find a property that you actually really, really want, that is when you want to know exactly how the bank are going to perform. And if you're there for the first time speaking to this bank, it could be that it takes you know, four weeks for them even just to kind of get you on their system using all of the KYC due diligence that they need to do on their client. That's before they even get into a due diligence uh, on the deal itself and where they're sending it off to credit committees and things like that. You could find that the deal has come and gone and you haven't even been approved yet, uh, let alone be successful in actually bidding for the deal. So I do strongly recommend that you kind of do a dry run and at least make sure that these guys are ready to perform at the time scale that you need. Because if they're going to be slow, if you put a deposit down on something and find that it, you, you can't perform, that's going to be very difficult. You could actually have been in a situation where you lose your deposit because the bank have not performed within the time scale of the, of the legal agreement. Um, what else? Being a non-resident, Stephen, yeah, you um, that adds an extra bit of complication to it and probably makes it a more time-consuming thing because what you've got now got to do is you've got to get your signature formally witnessed and usually that's done by a public notary. Now, when I responded to Stephen's question initially, he came back and said that the he had used the Irish Embassy and that is a good... Um, that is a good way of doing it. But the reality is, is that I've done this when I was in Spain. I had to send documents off. And uh, when I was in the US, I actually owned a property in the US. And in order to do something, I needed to travel to Madrid to go to the US embassy in Madrid and actually sign a document in the US embassy in order to prove my, you know, that I was actually the signature and this just, you know, it adds so much complication to it. So if you're sitting in a foreign jurisdiction trying to buy something in Ireland, you're going to have to go and get your your signature witnessed. And that is going to add a significant additional bit of time. So bear that in mind as well. Now, in looking into the future with my crystal ball, I do think that technology is going to solve some of these problems. First of all, I think blockchain, I, I believe that we are heading towards a time where your identity is going to be registered and retained on a blockchain. And so when it comes to buying a property, you won't need to do all of that sort of nonsense any longer. You'll just basically put in your blockchain and it'll, you know, your verification code or whatever it is, and it will confirm that you are the person that you say you are. And I actually think this is going to be something that we have to do anyway if for society because of the way that it is getting divided by all of these kind of, you know, fake news that we hear about and stuff like that. If you're in a situation where, you know, you, you if you produce a written document nowadays that criticizes somebody, you can be sued for libel or slander. But if you do it online behind, say, a fake Twitter profile or something like that, it just allows you to get this kind of information out. I do think that it's kind of the Wild West at the moment in the Internet and that at some point in the near future, they're going to be bringing all this stuff under control. And you're going to have a situation where in order to have a Facebook profile, a Twitter profile, all of that, you'll actually have to register with a passport and put an actual identification behind yourself so that you actually have legal ramifications for all of this kind of stuff that you do online as well as offline. 
Um, as to the audience listening from further afield, um, so apologies to you guys that are, you know, not specifically Irish and not looking at this information, uh, particularly not finding it particularly useful. I am going to be doing an episode on foreign property, so um, I will hopefully be able to help you guys out that are listening from further afield. Um, one of the things that I would say about buying property uh, further afield, and I think I've gone into this in the past, is just to be careful that you're not um, falling foul of that whole, the grass is greener on the other side of the street. And that is something that I did. You're buying property in your own country. You, you're finding it hard to find value and you start thinking, oh, you know, why don't I look abroad and maybe buy something abroad? And there's all sorts of headaches when you do that. And I found that I actually paid the price um, by going off and buying in different jurisdictions. I actually, I remember going into Bulgaria back in 2003, I think it was, and looking at property. And I can remember meeting this, this chap and he told me that he had the mayor in his pocket and that he could do any deal he wanted in the city and he wanted me to invest. I remember just thinking to myself, no, don't think I'll be investing with anyone who claims to have the mayor in his pocket. But that is the kind of Wild West that you can kind of get yourself into. And also, I would suggest that just be careful if you're ever buying, that you're analyzing the deals very, very coldly and rationally. And don't fall for the likes of a salesperson um, giving you a pitch. That is something that I've fallen for, where they get they give you this big rosy picture of, oh, you know, it's going to be amazing. I have friends that invested in Cape Verde which is south of the Canary Islands of Africa. And, you know, it sounded like this wonderful, you know, paradise when people were investing and they could buy it very cheaply. But it is off the coast of Africa and it's like a you know, seven or eight hour flight away. And because of that, it's very difficult to go down and sort things out with it. And so all of this meant that ultimately, I think a lot of people lost money who invested there because all you need is for the company that flies there to decide that they're not going to fly there anymore, that it's no longer economically viable. And that's it. You no longer have access to your investment property. So there's all sorts of stuff you need to consider before you buy foreign property. One final thing on foreign property, um, a question came in to me and it was about where are the places to invest? Now, I'm going to go and do an episode on that. But one example I'll give, and a friend of mine was just telling me about this recently, he's been investing in Brazil back after the crash of 2008, and he did extremely well. And that is a good example of a market that responded very quickly after the 2008 crash. Between 2008 and 2013, or no, 2015, so basically seven years, uh, the prices in Rio de Janeiro actually rose by 266%. And so that was an average price of residential property across Rio de Janeiro. And that gives you an example. Now, of course, if you're not watching the market very closely, you could very easily fall foul because shortly after 2013, there was suddenly all sorts of issues with uh, inflation and the economy started to falter. And so you could actually find that all of your gains are lost pretty quickly. So you just need to be careful that you understand how quickly can you get your money out? How quickly do the banks respond if you need to, you know, refinance or something like that? There's an awful lot of questions that you can answer easily in your own market that are much more difficult to answer when you're buying in a foreign jurisdiction. So just bear that in mind. Hope this was helpful, Stephen. Let's get into the next stage.
Now for the main topic, I am going to go on a bit of a rant today. And one of the reasons why I'm going to do this is because I want all of you guys to become better investors. But there is an area that um, if you're, you're familiar with this podcast and with my, my content, you'll know that the three go-to topics that I always look at are investment, innovation and impact. And impact is that kind of area that's a little bit more difficult to define. But this weekend, I've been watching a new Netflix series, or it's actually a documentary, and it's called David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet. And I thoroughly recommend you guys watch it. It is extremely powerful. And I, I not only just watch it, but actually share it out to your network. It's it's very powerful in the whole, you know, the ecosystem, the earth and things like that. Now, this is not me going off on a rant about the environment and that there's no economic benefit or no investment benefit to you guys from, from listening to this. This is actually all tied in together. And one of the reasons... I wanted to bring it up is just that you can actually have profit and purpose in the same activity, let's just say. Um, I've been watching David Attenborough for my whole life. I can actually remember watching him as probably seven or eight year old um, when he when he was doing television shows on the BBC. And I remember being mesmerized by his stuff and also Jacques Cousteau, the French uh, diver who had this thing called the ocean world of Jacques Cousteau. And these were shows that I would watch uh, when I was came home from school and just fascinating stuff. But when you watch the documentary and I hope you are, I hope you're as moved as I was today and you get a little bit more thoughtful about the way you behave going forward. I, I have a newborn son, as those of you who are, you know, have been listening for a while. My son is about a month old now. And I've just been thinking after this show today that the, f- the future he faces is actually potentially quite bleak if you were to believe some of the predictions that were made on this show. And it's it's kind of drove it drove me to want to comment on this today because climate control is definitely a crisis that we have got to get a grip on. And just as an example, just last week or the you know over the last two weeks we've had the in the US, we've had six of the largest forest fires in recorded history, all happening simultaneously. And, you know, is this a sign of things to come? If it is, can you just imagine what we're going to be looking at in a further 10 years? It is, it's scary to think about. And one of the issues that we have is that COVID-19, this pandemic that we're in at the moment that we're all dealing with, it has captured our immediate focus and everything else has kind of gone out the window. We're trying to kind of survive and that is understandable. But the science and all of the kind of facts behind climate change have not changed one bit. That is all exactly the same as it has been. And they have been predicting these problems for decades. And the problem is, is that we've been ignoring them just the way we ignored the, the, you know, the risks of, say, COVID-19. Back in 2015, Barack Obama spoke about it. You can actually find the video on YouTube. I'll probably put a link down below. But he mentioned that we have got to invest in infrastructure for, you know, the World Health Organization and for, you know, the risk of a respiratory airborne virus. And then Bill Gates also mentioned it as well. And what did we all do about it? We did nothing. We basically sat back and did nothing because And if you go back to my episode 20, when I talk about cognitive bias, this is exactly what happens. Everything else that, you know, when you hear about a threat, it does not seem like a real threat unless it's actually knocking on your door. 
And so the very same thing is happening here. We heard, you know, we were warned about something like COVID-19 happening five years ago. We did nothing. Here it is today. The cost of dealing with it today is probably a hundred times what it would have been if we had been making the investment five years ago when it was mentioned and when there was no panic at the time. Same thing is happening now with climate change. None of us are doing anything because we can't really see the immediate impact of it. And, you know, one of the things, one of the cognitive biases is that we have is that threats and any kind of concern and even feeling anxiety and things like that, it tends not to happen when it's happening far away from you. But if it's happening to your next door neighbor or, you know, if you're immediately in any kind of a danger, that is when you'll obviously feel anxiety. But things like climate change, global warming, sea level rises, uh, animal extinction, all of that stuff seems like this abstract foreign idea that is, you know, decades away. And therefore, it's not something that is immediately a threat to us. And therefore, we shouldn't really be acting on it. And the problem is, is that we're all going to sit back and do nothing until the damage is done and it's irreversible. And at that stage, the cost in the same way COVID-19 has cost a hundred times what it could have cost if we had started dealing with it early. It's going to happen with global warming, climate change. We are going to suddenly find that in order to reverse the damage, we're going to have to put, you know, thousands of times the cost into repairing the damage. How does this all impact your investment uh, you know, your life as a property investor. You all guys, you all want to become better property investors. How does this impact? Well, I believe it's totally connected. I think it's these two are absolutely hand in glove issues. And the reality is that the investment community has begun to catch on to this. If you remember the, um, the episode a couple of weeks back, I spoke with Anthony Slumbers and he mentioned that Larry Fink of BlackRock had written a letter to the and his annual letter to the CEOs is something that he does. And he said the words were climate risk is investment risk. And when just to put that into perspective, Larry Fink is the CEO of the largest investment company in the world. He manages six point three trillion dollars worth of assets. And when the CEO of a company that size starts talking about climate change and climate risk and it affecting impacting impacting investment risk it's time to sit up and take note i was i was just reading the letter and in fact i'm going to put a link in the show notes to his letter and he has things like putting sustainability at the center of how we invest that's a major statement if the largest investor in the world is putting sustainability at the center of how they invest then what are all of us going to do if we ignore this, I think we're going to be caught out by it. Um, they're talking about exiting fossil fuels. They're talking about global energy transition and all of this stuff. So what does it mean to the average investor? Well, it means you need to thread carefully, I would say, because as you've seen, I've seen this in the past, the global elite, these large companies, they always seem to know before everyone else where the market is going because they are effectively the ones that drives the market. And if they are doing this now, then what you're going to see is that it impacts the way banks think and the way financial institutions behave. And so if you ignore this or procrastinate in a couple of years, you're suddenly going to find that you own property that cannot be rented any longer. You're going to find property that you cannot sell. 
without dropping the price significantly in order to fund, say, the refurbishment to bring it up to climate standards that will be the reality in, say, 10 years time. Anything that you're buying today, you need to think to 2030. In 2030, we're going to be in a different world. We're going to have, for example, I've heard that Volvo motor cars are not going to be producing anything other than electric cars. You're t- I've seen here in Ireland, they, the government released this sort of plan for 2030, and they're talking about there being no gas-fired central heating allowed to be sold. So houses that have all of this stuff are going to have to retrofit because you're going to have companies that do the repairs on them no longer operational. And so there's a huge amount of knock-on impact. When you drive across the country, you're going to have to charge your electric car as you go. You're not going to have petrol stations and things like this. Obviously, the petrol stations will have to be repurposed into electric charging stations. And you see that a lot maybe in America, but I'm not seeing it here in Ireland yet. And I don't know how it is in the UK, but I do think that this is something that is going to slowly start to impact all of us. And so when you're investing in property, you need to be thinking long term. You're buying these properties. You're thinking about 10 years, even 20 years. I've owned property that I bought in 2000 and, um, 2002. So it's coming up in 18 years. I've been holding the same property. And I'm thinking to myself, when I bought that, it was a totally different thing. Now it's kind of a, a dated property. It's still valuable because of the location it's in. But when somebody moves into this property, the first thing they say is, what's the BE or certificate? You know, what's the energy rating of the building? And if you're borrowing money from the banks, they are automatically discounting your property value if it is not highly rated on the energy rating scale. And I've seen that myself. I actually looked at some uh, at borrowing some money from a local bank recently, and I noticed that when the property was, uh, I think it was A or if it was level B plus or A or above, the the rate of interest dropped by about a half a percent. And I was kind of taken aback by that because I didn't realize just the energy rating alone was actually going to have such an impact on the value of your investment and the amount of the borrowing that you were paying. So that is just something I thought that I would bring up. I do think if you if you read that Larry Fink letter, he actually goes into a thing called purpose and profit. And I think if you guys ignore this stuff, if you think that it doesn't apply to you, I do believe that you are going to be caught out and you're going to find yourself uh, ignorant um, and just unable to kind of understand where the future is going and what you should do about this. Uh, if you look at, I mean, one of the one of my favorite movies back in the 80s, 1987, it was a movie called Wall Street uh, with Michael Douglas acting as Gordon Gecko, And I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. And one of my it was one of my favorite movies. I was a very, you know, young, impressionable property investor. Uh, Well, I was even not at that time. I was like a teenager, but I was thinking about investing and making money and things like that. So this was an impressionable. This movie put it made an impression on me. And I can remember what he said when he's talking to Bud Fox. And there's this great scene where Bud Fox realizes he's just been duped by Gordon Gecko, And he kind of he gives out to him about it. And Gordon just says, well, you're walking around blind without a cane, man. And and then he says, a fool and his money were lucky enough to get together in the first place. And that is a classic statement from a movie, but it actually is so relevant to today. Are you walking around blind without a cane? Like, are you unconscious to what is happening to the future of investment? We are heading into a world 
where climate change, climate risk is very, very real. And now the biggest investors in the world have started to notice this. And you're seeing things like ESG policies. ESG is environmental, social and governance. And uh, we've actually, um, I found that I've been approached by a couple of different investors that I work with asking, what is our ESG policy? And, uh, you know, thankfully I knew what ESG was, but I didn't have a policy in place. So I'm working on that now. But these are things that these guys are starting to ask. And this is where if you're starting out as an investor, there's a couple of stages you have to think about. You're thinking about, OK, you're just a, you know, a young guy wanting to make your first investment. You might think that the, all of this is way too advanced and it doesn't apply to you. I would disagree because you're young, you're going to be buying a property and in a couple of years time, you're going to be selling this property and hopefully this will be your first profit that you make. If you're going to make a profit, it's going to be because the property rose in value. If it's rose in value, it is because it is environmentally suitable for the future. 10 years from now, the way people look at buildings and ratings of buildings is going to be very different to how it is today and certainly a lot different to how it was 10 years ago. We're building houses in parts of Ireland here and in the UK and the conditions that we have to, you know, the, the actual regulations that we have to follow in order to build houses to the standards today are so different to how they were. The insulation that goes into the walls is so thick and so, I mean, it's really, it's high quality, but compared to just 10 years ago, I built houses 10 years ago and they didn't, they just had this kind of foam board that you put between the walls. Now it's, you know, it's three or four times thicker and the windows are triple glazed in some cases. You're not allowed to put fireplaces into so many houses these days. They all have solar panels on the roof. All of this gives them an A rating uh, or greater. And so people can go off, borrow money. And when you're selling this property, far from the fact that you're going to have cheaper interest rates for that period of time, when you actually sell the property, you're going to find that somebody can come along and buy it and they're not being penalized themselves because they have a very bad energy rating and that their borrowings are also more expensive. Now, this also, you know, depending on what scale you're at, if you're at a much higher level in terms of your investment, you know, risk and portfolios and things like that, you could be looking at office buildings that are carbon neutral. If you're not carbon neutral now, you're going to be at risk of not being able to sell your property. You're going to be at risk of not being able to rent your property because some of the big department, um, you know, the government departments that are the biggest renters, those people will not rent property if the property is of a certain rating now below a certain level and they're just not allowed to rent it. And therefore you could be there trying to rent your property out and find just because you haven't kept up with the environmental standards that you're unable to rent the property longer. And to actually change that and to make it a more valuable piece of property um, to actually, you know, make it rentable, you're going to have to invest a lot of money. We've just done something recently in our portfolio and it has cost a lot of money to put in LED lights, to put in, you know, uh, soundproofing and metal ceilings because they don't want to use those fiber uh, ceilings any longer because they're not environmentally friendly. There's a huge amount changing in the world and you need to bear in mind. Also, Copenhagen, I uh, mentioned about this in my conversation with Chung Ha Cha a couple of weeks back and we talked about Copenhagen having this policy that it was aiming for zero carbon footprint by 2025. Like 2025, we're only four years away from that now and you're going to have a, a European capital that is carbon 
neutral, um, zero carbon emissions. And what other cities? I mean, I've seen there's a lot of cities out there that are talking about aiming to do this by 2050 and things like that. I can't imagine that when one company, one country comes in at uh, with that kind of rating at 2025, that other countries will not be, you know, morally obligated to start to kind of bring that forward. And you'll probably find that there are certain rules, you know, the, the US government is doing it, the EU are doing it. There are rules being brought in that will impact your portfolio. So I do think it, this is all very serious and you need to act now. You need to start educating yourself on the on the future of investment. Climate risk is investment risk. Larry Fink says it himself, biggest investor in the world. Therefore, do not ignore this. So my takeaway for today, this is a short enough episode. I just wanted to say is watch the documentary, first of all. David Attenborough, A Life on the Planet. And it's it's just out this year. Uh, I've just watched it. Very moving. Um, you'll, you'll come away from it definitely wanting to take some sort of action. Also, read the letter. I'm going to put a link in the in the show notes from Larry Fink. Um, it's important that you understand where these big guys are starting to look because th- what they do impacts the banks. That impacts their lending policies. That impacts you. That impacts everybody. And so it's a trickle down effect and it cascades down. And you'll find that just because these huge big investment companies, they seem like they're, you know, they're on a different level to you guys. It does trickle down and it'll eventually hurt you if you're not paying attention to it. So apart from that, and this is the final statement I'll make, is just what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I mean, for me, legacy is something I'm thinking about now. I think about my kids. I think about my new baby son growing up in a world. And when he's my age, what what kind of future does he face? Is he going to be walking around with a gas mask because the climate is so bad? Or is he going to be, you know, out there enjoying a really enjoyable climate where the, you know, you don't have those kind of risks? There's a couple of um, videos out there about the growth of cities. And there is, they're predicting that by 2100, so 70 or 80 years from now, the countries around the world, like parts of Africa and India, are going to have cities with 50 and 60 million people living in them. And that is, uh, you know, Nigeria, Lagos in Nigeria is predicted to have a population that will be larger than today's entire population of Germany and Denmark combined. One city with a greater population than those two countries. And that is 80 years away. So if we're heading in that direction, you can imagine the amount of emissions and all of that stuff that will come from that many people living together in a single single city. And so I just think that the whole world is going to have to take notice. And so make sure you don't get caught by this guy. So that is my bit of advice to you for this week. That's it for episode 23 of Behind the Facade. Please check out the show notes. As I mentioned, there'll be a couple of links there today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, My number one ask again is just that you leave a review whether it's clicking on the five-star rating or actually going in and penning a little review. The review is super helpful and I'm very grateful to those of you who go to the trouble and I will answer any question of somebody who actually wrote uh, a review, took the time to write a review. I'll directly answer any question that you have. Oh, the last thing I'd suggest is that please consider joining the Facebook group Behind the Facade community. It's the best way to connect with me And I've just recorded this video here today 
and um, I've recorded the podcast live in the group and you can interact with me directly on that. And also my PropTech TV YouTube channel. If you're interested in following my content, you'll find that could be useful as well. Hope to see you all next week, guys. Until then, speak soon. Mm-hmm.